This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. They didn't like it. That is a quote from Denise Rapino that really stuck with me. I'm sure this will be an easy exercise for you. So imagine two little girls running around a soccer field full of boys. Imagine the parents' reactions when one of the girls takes the ball away, or completes a great pass, or scores an amazing goal against their sons. They didn't like it. Denise and her husband Jim probably didn't anticipate the career that their daughter Megan would eventually have. It would be almost impossible to predict that a woman soccer superstar was being made in the rural area of Cal North District 9. But with each backyard dribbling lesson led by her older brother, every pickup game attended with her fraternal twin Rachel, and every minute spent analyzing top-level athletes on the television, a superstar was indeed being created. And as I have said many times before on this podcast, one of my missions is to provide a different side of the story. And thankfully, through a mutual friend, I was able to speak with the mother of one of the best players to ever put on the United States jersey. It was an amazing experience. Denise was emotional at times, but rightfully so. We touched on a couple of very tough subjects. And to be honest, I don't know if my question asking did them any justice, but it's that one quote that has really stuck with me and impacted me the most as I've sat and I've thought how or what I would say in this intro. They didn't like it. It's something that anyone who has ever tried to do something remarkable or against the grain has definitely experienced. People push back. Other people take cheap shots. Some try to drag you down to their level instead of pushing you to new heights. Megan has been experiencing that her entire career, and her mother Denise has been sitting right there on the sideline for all of it. So what you are about to hear is the incredible story of Megan Rapino from her mother's perspective. Now, before we get into the episode, I want to remind you that this podcast is being brought to you by the 343 Coaching Education Program. And just as I sat down to record this intro, I got the news that the architect of the 343 curriculum had just earned a 2-1 victory over FC Barcelona's academy at a world-class youth tournament in Europe. Now, the 343 methods continue to be battle-tested at the highest levels of competition and continue to be conveniently available for you at 343coaching.com. You have the opportunity to learn a proven methodology from a coach that continues to earn the results on the field year after year. And when you sign up, you are going to get access to real training footage and real game footage so you can see exactly how you can develop a possession-based soccer identity with your own team. If I just captured your attention with that. I would love for you to go check out 343coaching.com. That is where you can find information about our free online course and our premium online course and get started today. So you can visit 
343coaching.com to find all of that. And since you're already here, I recommend continuing to listen because you are about to get one of the most special episodes of the 343 podcast with Denise Rapino. Hi, John. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And how are you this morning? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm glad to uh, to finally be recording this with you. Oh, yeah, me too. I just, I got hit hard last week with this cold and allergies and, oh, it's just all kind of kicking in to get at the same time. I know. I told myself for a few days in a row, like, it's just allergies, it's just allergies, it's just allergies. <laughs> And then when Sunday rolled around, I was actually scheduled to referee four games, and I had to call my assigner and be like, man, I can hardly breathe out of my nose. I'm sorry. I have to bail today. So Yeah, yeah. That's what mine did. It turned yeah. into a cold, and it was a whopper. But anyway, anyway, I'm glad to be, be here talking to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, so I, I think la- when we spoke on the phone last week or the week before, you had mentioned that you'd, you'd never done a podcast before, I think, right? Like you've done interviews, but never a podcast. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. So here's how this here, here's how this works. Um I'm already recording, but if there is anything that you want to avoid or or you know topics that you just don't want to get into, uh you can tell me now and and all this can get edited out at any point if you say something or 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 you know you just you feel uncomfortable at anything you can just let me know or say stop, I can go back, I can edit th- those things out. Um, but it's just a, just a conversation. So don't feel like you, you know, you have to say or do certain things, whatever comes to mind. If you don't feel like answering a question, you can skip it, whatever. So, right. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So, um, I'm going to start with, I think, uh, a, a question that a lot of people will be interested in. Um, I'll just, uh, I, I guess I'll just read what I, what I wrote down. Uh, okay. What book did you read that helped you prepare for raising a kid like Megan? <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be quite honest, I, I didn't read a book to help me prepare to re- raise a child like her. <laughs> <laughs> I just, she's the youngest. Um, I, right, I've raised seven children. And at that time, you know, uh, there were six and she was the youngest, you know, out of my six children, you know, being 11 minutes younger than her twin, Rachel. So, I mean, I just, I was a young mom and married for a very long time. So I just, I had a lot of experiences, you know, to draw on from my other children. I mean, I read books, I mean, parenting books and that sort of thing. And, um, but really as far as any specific book, I, I can't say that I read any specific book. Uh, I read various, various, uh, you know, books, you know, coaches, you know, uh, Anson Dorrance. I read one of his years, you know, when the girls were still pretty young. Um, I read some articles in Sports Illustrated, one in particular that I felt like was very, you know, helpful with me, with my girls, because they were both very, very talented athletes and just very, you know, very interested in all sports. So, I mean, I actually read some things that were very helpful with that. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it was, it was kind of a joke question, but, but that, that actually leads me into something that I, I thought about and something I wanted to talk to you about 
during this conversation was, you know, at, at what point did you realize that this was going to be something serious? Like this wasn't just, you know, a recreational soccer player that you were raising. Like at some point you and your husband and, and, and your family had to realize, you know, that this could go a lot further. Well, I mean, they were very athletic at a very young age, you know, when I was reflecting back at, you know, how the things they were doing, you know, at, you know, when they did them, how, how young they were doing things, how coordinated they were in comparison to my older, you know, children, you know, so, you know, I noticed that right away, but I think really when it hit me was when um, Megan was 11 and uh, that would have been the 96, we were 96 Olympics at that time. And it was, you know, the Summer Olympics and, you know, and she was already very athletic. I mean, they were very accomplished athletes, both of them. And she just, I mean, she sat out there, at, you know, in our home and we had this, this uh, family room out there and watched every event she could watch. I mean, literally 11 year old, 11 year olds. I mean, she was out there watching all the backstories. I mean, she couldn't get enough. And we really didn't have air out there. We had air in the rest of the house. But on this addition, this uh, family room, we didn't have air. We had fans and different things, you know, but it didn't have a lot of air. And I just remember, I mean, that kid was just out there, I mean, just for hours. And I was taking ice water to her and food or whatever. <laughs> and then at dinner time, she'd come back and she'd fill us all in on all the backstories and all the athletes, uh, you know, from you know all the sports. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, I mean, this this is really something. And it just really hit me then that, I mean, she just was, you know, she was different. And her passion and her competitiveness as an as an athlete, her, you know, just her desire. It was just it was different. And, you know, and I'll never forget that. I mean, that was just very, very telling to me at that point. Do you remember at any point? if you and your husband made a decision to, to handle her differently. And, and, and I mean that in a way like, you know, we need to nurture this young player in a certain way to help her go a certain direction. And, and I've talked with other parents in the past that, you know, ha have said they didn't do anything differently or, or anything special, but I'm, but I'm curious, like, if you guys made a conscious decision to help guide her along a path that would take her someday to where she is now? Well, I mean, not really. I mean, all of our children played sports. Uh, it was different with, with Megan and her twin, Rachel. I mean, they wanted to literally play every sport and then they were constantly, I mean, it wasn't a question of, okay, you have practice, you know, you got to get ready, get your cleats on. I mean, they were just ready. They were, they couldn't wait. I mean, it was what they wanted. And so really probably the decision we made is like, cause it was kind of tiresome. I mean, I was really, it was like in the summertime, they wanted to be, you know, um, out of Shasta college, a junior college we had here doing every camp they could do. And, you know, I've always worked nights and I was, you know, kind of like, you know, how about, why don't you not do that camp? Why don't we just have some time <laughs> to have some summertime? And it was, but I had to, I mean, they just, that was a fight. I mean, they wanted to do everything they could do and they wanted one right after the other. And so in that way, you know, I kind of had to let them do that. I mean, let them play every sport. I mean, I did put my foot down when they wanted to sign up for football. It's like, okay, we're not going to do that and play at school, <laughs> which they did all through grammar school and junior high. They played at their school out in, you know, out in Palisadro where we lived. 
with all the boys and all the, you know, whatever girls, they were probably the only two girls out there, but you know, they did it then, but you know, we just really let them do everything they wanted to do. They played everything they could. I did, you know, at a fairly young age, make a decision that, you know, they were going to swim competitively. We live up in Northern California. It's really hot here in Redding. And I did make a, you know, and I had to kind of fight about it because they didn't really necessarily want to go swimming every day like that competitively, but they were so athletic and they were playing so many sports that a lot of them were overlapping and they were playing two at a time that I decided that, you know, with different things I had read that they really needed that they needed to continue you know, uh, working out and doing these things for their body and their muscles and, you know, and tendons and all these things. So it was something I kind of forced them to do. And they, you know, they thanked me later when they, when they went away to college, but they weren't real happy about it. You know, at times, you know, they didn't really want to have to get up early in the morning and go and, and swim and all that, but you no, know, really just, we made a decision. Okay. We, we got to do this. I mean, I mean, I would, in some ways would have liked it to have been less, you know, can we have just some downtime? And they did, don't get me wrong, but they really, we had to let them just play everything they could play. And they played, they played every sport they could play and they just, they had fun. They had a lot of fun. Now where you guys lived when, when Megan was growing up and, and I believe where you used to live too, is for people that, that are listening to this is not an ideal location for somebody wanting to pursue a career in professional sports. It's very isolated. It's, it's out of the way from, for, from a lot of things. And so Uh I'm curious, can you maybe describe what your experience was like with youth soccer and then making that transition to a, a, a more competitive environment? Because I know from some of the other people I've had on the podcast some of the struggles that exist in, in being in a disconnected area and wanting to play, you know, com- competitive soccer. So I, I'd be really curious what, what your experience was like as, as a family and, and as a mom going through that. Well, I mean, we did, we do live, you know, up in Northern California and of course for soccer, we're the last district, district nine in Cal North, you know, so it's the last district, you know, to the Oregon border. So, yeah, it's a lot, you know, we didn't have competitive here when they were growing up. We, we do have it now at, at some degree, not completely like, you know, like we had to pursue when we went down to Sacramento and all that and put them on a team down there. But we, we do have it and it's growing. But uh, they had to play with boys. I mean, they literally played on boys teams at a very young age. And so that, I mean, there were some girls, I mean, they were co-ed, but like now you have all girls teams and all boys teams for quite a, quite a while now. And you see very few girls playing on boys, but my girls, you know, played on boys teams. I mean, uh, we actually lived about 10 minutes east of Reading. We lived out in the country in a, a place called Palisadro and we had some acreage out there and we lived out there. We moved out there when they were 22 months and lived out there for over 13 years. So, you know, they played on boys little league teams. You know, they played, uh, you know, soccer when they started at six years old on an under eight team. It was a boys team. And, um, I mean, there might've been another girl or two, but you know, they they were already forming girls teams. So a lot of the girls elected to play on the girls teams. So we had to do that for them. You know, they were just, they were athletic at a very young age and, you know, they had to, you know, they had to, in order for them to really compete and, you know, be able to have, you know, the competition they needed, they had to play with the boys. That's a theme that has been brought up 
in every single episode that I have interviewed, um, or, or that, that I, that I've had with a, with a female player, it's, it's quite really? remarkable uh-huh. that, that that is the common thread or that has been a common thread uh-huh. in everybody oh, yeah. that I've talked to about women's soccer. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised. I mean, because these kids are just, you know, they're very competitive and they're very athletic and, and I would think, you know, it's just, and that, and there's that drive and see that drive, you know, you don't really see in a lot of young girls at that age, unless they have all these other components, I don't think. And so that's why they, you know, they kind of need to be, they definitely need to be playing with the boys and that's where they, they find their competition. So I'm I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shocked about that. It just makes me wonder too, how many young girls are seeking out that opportunity today? Because like you mentioned, there, there are a lot more opportunities even in those rural, rural areas for, you know, competition amongst your same gender and, and even just more competitive games in general. But, you know, how many young girls today are seeking out that opportunity to play against the boys? I don't, I, you know, just from, from my vantage point here on the central coast, I don't see it very often. Well, I think there's a lot more available for girls now. Uh, than there was, you know, when my girls were growing up. I mean, they're 33 now, so it's been quite a while. Um, but so there is a lot more available and it, and and more competitive. Like they can play, you know, uh, select. They can play rec. They can play select, and they can go into the more competitive leagues, which we didn't have any of that here. And even at that time, you know, they had them in Sacramento, and you did see a few girls in Sacramento playing with the boys, but I don't think it wasn't that common because they had a lot more to choose from. So it kind of just depends on where you live, I think, and, you know, what's available. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, this, it was the same thing when my girls played, started playing basketball through the Y, the YMCA. I mean, they played on a boys team and they were in, I think, third grade, third or fourth. I can't remember. And they played with the boys and they had to because, I mean, it would, otherwise it wouldn't have been competitive for them. Now, as, as I got older, that changed like in high school and, you know, it, things they started catching up and things started changing. But when they were younger and they were, you know, very young and developing. I mean, they definitely, definitely wanted to play with the boys. That was, you know, where they wanted to be. That was a lot more fun for them. Do you remember ever having a conversation with them about that? About, you know, the, you know, these are the only opportunities for you guys to play or, you know, this is going to make you better. Did did anything ever like that come up? They wanted to, I can't even remember having that conversation. They wanted to play with the boys. I mean, it's just, I, I really don't remember saying we didn't like, okay, this is what you have to do. You know, although, you know, when they were 10, you know, right before they turned 11, they turned 11 in July, their birthdays in July. Um, they were asked to try out for a class one, a competitive boys team. And it was a, it was a team that was trying out and there were kids from the North state up here in the Reading area, but they were going to have to go and play in the Sacramento league. So and they made it, you know, and I mean, they definitely wanted to try out. I mean, they, you know, and we knew the coach uh, because his uh, he had an older son who played with our our boy who was five years older than our girls. So we'd been around at the girls. I mean, our son played travel ball competitive for three years. And so, you know, they always went with us whenever we traveled for him. You know, they were with us. They were around those older kids who were five years older. They were out on, you know, in, in the, on the field at halftime, they were running out on the field with the soccer balls. They, you know, would sit on the sidelines and watch those older boys play. I mean, so there was always that interest and that desire 
and that that love for it. So, you know, uh, obviously when you know when Jack uh, Jimenez asked for them to try out for this this his younger son's team, I mean they're they're you know we talked to them and I mean they wanted to I mean there was there was no question. So, I mean they were always motivated to you know for competition. Yeah, it's. What you described, I, I, I'm trying to envision it in my head uh, as you were as you were talking about it. But them like sitting there on the sideline, like I, oh, I can yeah. I, I can picture that, and, and them you know just absorbing that for you know years and years and years. It sounds like because they were the youngest, and and, and you know, it oh, makes yeah. se- it, it makes sense that that you know something like a career like that would would happen after you know a a, a young player has those impressions on them at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were always watching the, their older siblings. And like I said, their one brother who's five years older, I mean, he was playing different sports and they idolized him and everything he did, they wanted to do. And so they had that. Uh, but yeah. And, and then seeing that competition, I mean, they were there when he started playing uh, class one, he was 12, I believe. So they would have been seven. And so they, you know, they were already playing in their, in their rec league in, in our little area, but they actually were traveling. We were traveling as a family and they saw that and they saw these older boys playing at that competitive level. So, I mean, and they, they watched, I mean, they were unusual for, you know, they're not, they weren't typical of a lot of girls at that age. I mean, they literally watched the game and we were, were becoming students. I thought at a very young age, I mean, something I had never seen before with my other children. Yeah. I'm curious about that. Maybe we can explore, explore that a little bit too. What, what was the culture like at home for, for them after, you know, you had already, you already raised five or were raising five uh-huh. and, then, and then six and seven show up. What, what was the culture like? Well, they like? were five and six. Yeah. They five, were five okay. and six. I'm actually raising a grandson now. So that's my seven. He's a senior <laughs> okay. in high school. So, cool. you know, the culture was pretty laid back. I mean, we lived out in the country and they had the run of the place. I mean, they loved it literally across the street from our house. You know, we had a little over three acres was our community church and Cal Creek Community Church. That's where we went to church. And at that church was a soccer field and a baseball field. And they walked over there. I mean, they were over there every day playing. They were constantly playing. And as they got a little older, their friends would meet them there. And, you know, they'd have pickup games. I mean, but they had, there was always two of them. So they always had a playmate. I mean, it wasn't like I had to do all these play dates. But of course, as they got older, they were incorporating all their friends, usually boys. I mean, they were really good friends with boys. Most of their best friends when they were in grammar school were boys. And then some of the girls, too, that wanted to join in. And they were running around, the, you know, down the street to where the creeks were and fishing for crawdads. I mean, they had a pretty amazing life. They just ran all over the place, out in the country. It was very, you know, I felt very safe. And they just, they played. I mean, and I was a big proponent of that, that they just play and have fun and have a good time. I mean, I don't think they felt like, any big pressures or anything from us that, well, you've got to do this and you got to do that. And it's just go out there and just have fun. And I mean, I mean, that's what they've always said. And that's what they did. Like I said, I mean, there were times when I was trying to put the brakes on. Okay. Can we not just do this clinic and we just not do this, you know, but it was, you know, they just played and they just had a, they just had fun, you know? And it seems like they, they naturally gravitated towards the situations that you know, we're, we're challenging, like, you know, pickup games, like that's, that's very oh, challenging yeah. and, and playing with the boys, that's very challenging. 
and, oh, yeah, and playing against older players, like that's very challenging. So they naturally just gravitated towards that with this environment, you know, that oh, didn't yeah. pressure them to. Right. I mean, we always had a basketball, you know, pole and, and net up. I mean, we had a real long driveway with our house set real way back. So there's a long driveway we had. They had rollerblades and hockey sticks. They played roller hockey. <laughs> in the, I mean, it was constant. They had goals and we had big, long side yards. I mean, their brother, Brian, five years older, would take him out there and set up goals. And of course, you know, little kids, they always wanted to shoot on goal. But he would set these cones up because we had cones. We had all that. And he'd make him do all these dribbling skills. He'd make him do all kinds of things inside of the left foot and then outside of the right foot. And I mean, just on and on, you know, they had to do all these things and they had to do them correctly before he would just let them start shooting on goal. I mean, he was, <laughs> and they loved it. You know, they, that was what they loved and they just played all the time. And it was baseball mitts and gloves and, you know, uh, bats. There was just, we always had lots of sporting, you know, things for them around and for them to do. And they were just, always off running and doing, you know, one or the other all the time. At what point did soccer become, you know, the, the one and only, or did it ever? Well, no, it really didn't because, um, you know, all through grammar school and junior high, I mean, they started running track. I guess it was in fourth grade. They were allowed to do that. They started running track. I mean, they played volleyball at school. They played softball at their, you know, junior high. They played little league when they were younger. Uh, with boys. Um, I mean, they just did everything. And by the time high school rolled around, uh, I mean, soccer was definitely, I mean, they were, they loved it and they were playing it all the time. And when, like I said, when they were 10, they, they tried out and they made that under 12 boys traveling team. And they, we did that for one season. Uh, well, we did it through the fall and then the spring, but then we decided we, we needed to put a girls competitive team together because, uh, you know, there was a lot of, you know, there was people down south. That, I mean, they didn't like it that we were playing in a boys league and that you had these two girls out there and they were really good. I mean, they were starters and they were playing right out there with the boys and holding their own. No problem. So we just felt like, OK, we, we've got to put a competitive girls team together, which we did in another year. We ended up doing that and took a team from the Reading area and took it down to Sacramento and did that the rest of their junior high year. And then, then high school, we put them on a team down there, but really uh, even in high school though, they were playing, you know, in their freshman year, they were moved up to varsity basketball. They, so they played, you know, varsity basketball, they ran track um, and then they played their competitive soccer. They actually never played soccer for their high school because it, uh, it was in the winter, the same time as basketball. And that was when they took the break from soccer and they, had that window where they could actually have about two and a half months and then they played their basketball and then they'd start up with the soccer again. So, so was there a point during high school? And I want to, actually, I wrote down a note that I want to come back to something that you just said, but I want to, I want to try to finish this out and, and figure out where like st soccer became or where Megan, I guess, got on this mm -hmm. path that accelerated her to a career that eventually brought her to the Olympics, to the world cup and things like that, because at some point I have to imagine yeah. that, you know, more focus went to soccer than anything else in her life. Oh, definitely. And I think that really happened for both of them at the end of their uh, basketball season in their freshman year, because at that point they were like, well, oh, you know, they were telling us, you know, my husband and I, that they may want to play basketball in college. I mean, they loved basketball. I mean, really they love it. They still do do to this day they love it it's one of their favorite sports 
but at the end of the season and we went, we did really well up here. We did very well. And so they were playing, they were freshmen. They were playing varsity when we went down to Palo Alto area and we, we had a playoff game down there um, against a, an all girls Catholic team, high school. They were all recruited and it was really impressive because we were there for this playoff game and there was all these coaches from all over. I mean, Stanford, Berkeley, I mean, all over watching, you know, this team, not our team, this Palo Alto team. And anyway, we went down there and, you know, we, the first half, it was great. I mean, we, we were within two points, you know, I mean, it was a really close game and they were right there very, you know, in the game, very competitive. Well, the game ended up, you know, they blew us out like by 26 points or something in the second half. But anyway, that ride home, I thought was a turning point because they both, you know, I said, well, what do you girls think? I mean, they go, well, that was really fun. Of course, it was over. Their season was over then. But we think we really need to concentrate on soccer. We really think that that's where we're going to get our D1 scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> and and it Smart was kids. And so we're like, okay. Because, I mean, that's kind of, you know, we knew that. We kind of thought that. I mean, they were, you know, they were really good. They were really fast pressing guards. But, you know, Megan's 5'6". Rachel was 5'4". And, you know. But anyway, yeah, they they knew at that point that as much as they loved it and they would continue playing, they wanted to play it through high school. They, you know, soccer was their number one, you know, and then, you know, they just it was just a turning point. She just, you know, Megan at that point had surpassed Rachel because Rachel was, you know, I would say stronger in some ways during their uh, junior high years. You know, she just was a little more developed and she was just stronger and. You know, but uh, by Megan's freshman year, she just, I mean, she just kind of went to another level. And of course, that's when we put them on a team in Sacramento. We dissolved the girls team we had here in Reading that we were taking down there for the last couple of years, I think two or three years. And we put them on a team down there and just, you know, that was our focus. So I'm going to tell you one of my challenges that I always face when I do a podcast interview. There's a million different directions we could go right here. And mm-hmm. I feel like most of Megan's career is very well documented. So if people want to hear or learn about, you know, where she went to college, where she's played professionally, the trophies and medals that she's won, <laughs> all of that stuff is pretty readily available. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to a lesser extent, I feel like the the background or the inner workings of Megan, um, you know, that's harder to come by, I guess, I guess is is one way to put it. And so when we spoke on the phone last week, you, you mentioned some things about Megan that, you know, make her, that make her a, a unique case when it comes to United States women's soccer. Uh And uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and, and, and throw these things out there that, you know, She's a gay athlete, and she has also knelt during the national anthem. And I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned a few minutes ago, because this really jumped out at me when you said it, was that when she was 10, 11, 12 years old, she was playing on a boys team, and there were people that didn't like it. I think think that's exactly what you said, is that, you know, the people down there didn't like that these girls were playing on a boys team. So at a very young age... Megan was exposed to situations where, you know, people didn't like what she was doing. 
right. Oh, yeah. And she, they were saying things to her. And, you know, and it was hard. I mean, because, you know, she was just, a you know, a young girl and she was sensitive, but she knew that, she, you know, she she wanted to play out there. And she, and it was funny. I mean, the boys, the team they were on, she and her twin, were very accepting, actually very protective over over the girls. And they were, I mean, they wanted them out there. So we never had any issues. I never felt any issues at all with this team, their their own team. But the other teams, I mean, a lot of the, yeah, there were parents on the sidelines, you know, yelling out, what are you doing letting that girl get the ball? I mean, you know, and there was just different things that were being said. And that would kind of, I mean, you hate to say that. And you hate to see that kind of thing, but it, it happened. And um, they didn't like the idea that there was two girls out there playing on, on this boys team. And, you know, and they were good. And they were playing right with their boys. And so there was things being said. And then sometimes, you know, some of the kids would, there would be some retaliation. And then, you know, so she, yeah, she had to, she had to toughen up and it was hard because I mean, there were times when, you know, it brought her to tears. I mean, she was hurt, hurt her feelings. Tell me, tell me about that. Tell me how you guys handled that situation, especially with such a young, a young player at that time. Well, I mean, we just, you know, encouraged her and just, you know, told her, hey, you know, if it, this is tough. And I mean, you know, it's it's going to be tough. But if this is what you want, if this is what if this is the level, you know, that you need to play at and so you can compete then you got, you know, you got to you got to be able to take it. And she was tough. I mean, but it was it was hurtful at times. And, you know, but that, you know, like I said, we only did it one season, one fall and then through the spring. But it just, you know, she wanted it and she and Rachel both wanted it and and they they could handle it. But it helped because they had all the support from us, but they also had all the support from their teammates, all these boys and the coach, you know. And um, it was but you know, I'm sure it was it was tough at times. Yeah, that I, I just I, I, I can just hear your voice in my head again saying they didn't like it like somebody else didn't like it they didn't like it and no. and, and they yeah, just she, go ahead yeah, she she faced that at a young age and she you know persevered through it i mean she was not going to be told she couldn't play because she could play and it just it just it just was not going to happen and we weren't going to allow it to happen i mean we did find it, you know, we did find a way to find, get a girls team together. We basically had to take a whole season and play rec ball back here in, in our little area and then just scout all the, the athletes. Basically, we were just looking for very athletic, very athletic girls. And we put together, I mean, it wasn't a real big team. There was only, I think there was only 14 on the team, 13 or 14 when we first started in junior high. But we, I mean, we had athletes from you know, further down south of Red Bluff all the way to Mount Shasta. So, I mean, we had kids making the drive here to practice and then we'd go down to Sacramento to play. I mean, that's what we had to do in order to gather the athletes that we needed to put a team together to go. And, you know, and that was good. And that was where they needed to be at that time. And so, and we were going down there and we were getting, you know, our butts kicked a lot. I mean, these were, these were, (laughs) these were competitive teams down there, these girls programs down there in the Bay Area. Sacramento, um, San Juan Club, and Bay Area, all, you know, all over. I mean, they, and we had the best athletes we could get and that we could get the parents to agree to it because it's huge, obviously. It's a huge family commitment. 
but we had good athletes. And after a while, you know, after losing many games by a lot, you know, we started, we started winning some and then we started, you know, and it just got better and better, but it was, you know, it was, it was the competition. They were in competition and they needed it and it, you know, it paid off. Absolutely paid off. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, in my brain, I guess, organize that, that experience for, for a young player at such a young age into like a life lesson and, and, and how that's maybe impacted the choices or, or, or the actions that, that have, you know, since come about in in her career. I don't, I don't know if it's something that, you know, she consciously thinks about or if it's just been, you know, a theme her entire life that, you know, uh, so here, here's a thought I have in my head right now. If you're going to do something remarkable, there's going to be people that attack it. And, right. and whether that's being a professional athlete, starting a, a, a company, um, whatever, right? If there's something remarkable, somebody's going to be there to try to tear it down. And, and I can just picture you know, a, a youth soccer player being the best player on the field and, and parents on the sideline you know, yelling instructions to their kids to do something right. to, to uh-huh. stop that w- player from, from being remarkable and they right. become the target. So, you know, that's the, th- that's where my brain is at right now, I guess. Well, you know, and it's funny you say that because I mean, and there's other people that have come alongside that have encouraged her and her twin, Rachel. But I mean, I remember one particular game and it was, it was this team I was talking about, this boys team, and it was very frustrating because there was things that were going on. There was different antics on the field. And Megan was just getting, she was getting really frustrated. I mean, I can, you know, I could, she wasn't crying, but I could see the tears were right there. And, you know, and and the ref stopped the game, the center ref, and went over there and was talking to her, you know, and then, then he started the game again and we didn't know what was going on. I mean, we were on the sidelines and, uh, so when she comes off the field, you know, we're asking her, I said, you know, what did he say? I get emotional when I talk about this, but, you know, he just, he told her, he says, you're the best player out there. And he says, you don't let anything keep you from playing your game. I can't believe I get emotional about this, but. <laughs> it's Okay. You know, you can, you can delete that if you want, but he no, just told her, he goes, he, I mean, she was 10, maybe 11 then, probably 11 because they was probably, it was in the fall. So they had turned 11 and he just said, you're going to make a state team. He goes, you mark my words. He goes, you don't be discouraged. And, you know, there's just, there's different incidents like that with people, whether it, you know, was a ref or different coaches you know, obviously family members, uh, you know, they had each other, Megan and Rachel, they, you know, they could encourage one another uh, so that, you know, they weren't, she wasn't going to be discouraged. And she just was, you know, she just had too much, you know, you know, she just had the, 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 the perseverance and the grit and the, you know, tenaciousness to stick with it. I mean, she just was not going to be deterred. And, you know, she's still that way as a young woman you know, out there champion for the things she believes in. And she's just, she's just not, you know, she's not going to just get in line and shut up and, 
you know, if she feels strongly about something, I mean, she's going to speak up and she's going to stand her ground. And, you know, it's pretty amazing, really, because she's put a lot on the line, I think. And as a parent, you know, you worry about him and you want to protect him. But, you know, it's who she is and it's the person she is. And, you know, it's I think it's made her an even better player. I've seen made her even a better competitor because she, you know, it's been hard and there's been some struggles, but she's, you know, she's strong in who she is as a person and as an athlete. And it's really something. Did, did conversations ever become easy with, with Megan about like dealing, dealing with these types of things, overcoming adversity oh, and, and oh, yeah. I the mean, challenges? Well, as, as, as a young, is a young girl growing up, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time together, so we were very close. Um, she and her, her and Rachel were very, they were very appreciative of what we did as a family. Um, you know, cause it, it's hard. I mean, it's definitely a huge commitment for families. You probably know that if you play competitive, you know, it's, it's a family deal. I mean, you have to all commit to it, but we spent a lot of time doing this. We had lots of talks. Uh, we had, you know, uh, it was, it was always comfortable and we always had that real open communication and closeness, you know, when they were younger, you know, as they got older and then she was figuring out things about herself and that she was gay. I mean, I think that was a little harder, you know, for her, you know, I mean, to tell us and then for us to process that and then come along and support that as well. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, that's a little harder. I think when you become an adult and you're branching out and, and things aren't necessarily how you thought they would be as a parent or whatever. And, you know, so there's all that, you know, processing and, and just, and just, um, accepting and, and, and just, you know, being good with it. Yeah. I have a, actually, I'm going to reach for it really quick. Give me one second. I have a quote that I wrote down the other day. Where is this from? I think it's from, um, the, autobiography of Malcolm X and it said accept which is already within you and around you and I, I've mm-hmm. been looking at that the last few days as I've been leaving my room and and what wow. you what you just said is kind of kind of in line with that it's like yeah just it, it, accepting it and 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 managing and it, it the, yeah. the way that, that that it is the acceptance you know wasn't so difficult I mean you know you just you love your kids so much but as a parent and as a mom I think really you know especially I mean you're just you're protective you don't want you don't want them hurt you don't want you know you you don't want anyone to say negative things about them and to lash out you don't want you know that you just don't want it to happen but you know at the same time you know you have to be able to let go they they have a right to be who they are and live their life and and live their life according to what's what's really important to them and how they want to live their life. I think it's really important and, you know, and have faith in them that it's okay. Whatever happens, whatever comes back, you know, I know she can handle it and she has handled it over and over and over. And so it's, it's just, it's a matter of letting go and just letting them be and just not feeling like you have to be so protective all the time. I think that's kind of the hardest thing for parents, you know, doing that, you know, getting to that point. Yeah, and, and and you lead me to an interesting point where you know we're we're getting towards that forty five minute mark where I said that that, that would be uh-huh. a, about as long as as we go. And I like to end each interview by asking the guest 
what do people need to know? And and while you kind of let that simmer for a second, you, you know, you could you you can tackle that from a number of different angles, right? So you can you can tackle that as a mother, you can tackle that as a fan, um, you you can tackle that uh, from a soccer standpoint or from a life standpoint. Um, but but what you kind of just mentioned there, as you finished talking, was you know kind of giving a message to to other parents and. I know that there's going to be parents that listen to this episode, male and female, uh, that have sons and daughters um, that that are going to take away something from this already. But I'm 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 curious if if you had to narrow it down to, you know, one or two things that people need to know, how would you answer that? Well, I think really uh, for me, it's always what's always been the most important is what kind of person am I raising here. Um, I mean, what are they going to be a good person? Is she going to be a person that really is, you know, really concerned about the world out there, other people, situations, more than she's even necessarily concerned about herself in a lot of ways? And, you know, it's, it's just a good person. And I know without a doubt that my daughter's a very good person. And I just think it's important to raise them that way. And, that they have to realize that, you know, nothing in life is easy. And if they really want something, they have to work really hard that, you know, anything really worth having doesn't usually come real easy. And they just have to go out there and and they just have to be their true authentic self. And they just have to be their best and do the best they can. And I'm really proud of her. I mean, I'm just, I'm proud of the person she is and the things that she stands for and just how she lives her life. And I just think it's really important for parents to, to feel that way, you know, to, to know that they've done the best they can and that this is, you know, you had something to do with this person and this is who they are because they are living their life and they are being the best person they can be. So awesome to hear you, to hear you talk about that. And I had a question written down and I don't, I don't normally write down questions. So uh, but a thought came to my head this morning and, and I had written down, you know, looking back on her life and her career and, and some other stuff, you know, t- tell me about what you're most proud of. And then you, you touched on it right there, uh, mm-hmm. in, in that last answer, you know, saying that, you know, just the way that she's living her life and, yeah. and, and being part and, of that. And just, I mean, she has, I mean, she has the heart of, you know, of a giver. I mean, she, she is so concerned about being on the right side of things now there's a lot of people who may think that she's not on the right side of things but I know she is and as a parent I think it's it's so amazing to see that and to and to know that and so that gives me you know tremendous pride and comfort to know that she is this kind of person making an impact on so many people that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I guess it, it, if I can just ask one more question. Um, sure. Is there anything that you anticipated talking about today that, that we didn't get a chance to talk about or anything that you feel like, you, you know, that, that you want to get out to everybody? Well, I mean, I know, not really. I thought maybe you might bring <laughs> something up about the latest development with, you know, with FIFA. But since that yeah. just hit hit everything, just... And I just actually found out about it yesterday, so I was maybe, pretty... Maybe you, can, maybe you can talk a little bit about it real quick. Well, I mean, 
they just, they got just, they got to keep pushing and you know, the changes, you know, hopefully they're coming. They're not coming fast enough. I mean, I don't think, and it's really frustrating as, as a, as a, as a parent, as a mom of a female athlete to see that, you know, that they are just slighted and, and in my opinion, and so disrespected in this way that they, that the, the powers that be at FIFA would actually, you know, schedule these finals. I mean, it's just, you know, with the men's, you know, teams and things, these finals for these important tournaments, but in direct competition, in direct, you know, competition with the women's final for the world cup. I mean, it's just, it's, I don't know. I'm just, it's appalling really. And I think it's really, you know, I think it's sad actually. I really do. And there's a lot of other issues, but I mean, the world cup is every four years. These women have earned, you know, this right for their day, for their, and I just don't think it, I don't think it's right. I think it's, it's, I think it's terrible. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I, and I'm, I'm well aware that uh-huh. you didn't know much about me or still don't know much about me and yeah, you know, right. my, my activity outside of, uh, you know, a podcast, but uh-huh. um, people that are listening to this are, are very in tune with the fact that, that we, we push very hard for a different type of American soccer. And we, we push back very hard against some of the, the policies and the procedures Mm -hmm. that are, that are in place that we feel keep us very far behind from other, uh, you know, leading soccer nations. And, And we feel like we should be top of the pack on the men's and the women's side. And, you know, we on the should, women's side, definitely. On, on the women's side, you know, we've had great success and we feel like it can be even greater and, and, and we should be putting distance between ourselves and the rest of the pack. And, and, it, and it's not quite going that direction at the moment. Um, and, and so we are considered a little bit of an alternative voice. Actually, not a little bit. We're, we're considered an alternative voice when it comes to American soccer media. And that's what makes, to me, this interview with you a little bit more special. Um, mm-hmm. now, now, that I, th- now that I think about it from that lens, um, the people that I like to bring on this podcast aren't necessarily people who play by the rules. And... You know, it, it, it's, it's things like you mentioned, you know, things that need to be changed, things that happen that nobody calls out that, that, you know, those things need to stop. Those yeah. things need to stop. And unless any, some, somebody is calling those things out, then those people just get to operate how they operate. Yeah. And thank God we have people like you, because I don't know anything about you and, and, <laughs> and how you move and what you think, but it sounds like you know, I'm, I, I would be impressed, but, and we need people like Megan and, you know, the other players, you know, uh, all these players speaking out and pushing and they got to keep pushing because, you know, it's just, it's not right. And it's not on the right side of what should be, and it needs to be on the right side. And so it's just, it's just important that, you know, just to just keep, you know, speaking out and speaking up and standing up or whatever it takes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. Well, how do you feel after after forty five minutes of your first podcast? Well, I mean, pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I got a little emotional, and I don't like to do that, but it's really hard. The harsh <laughs> things of a mom and talking about their kid, 
it's just so weird. And I've talked to other moms and, and they can do the same thing. It's like, it doesn't matter how long ago something happened, an injustice or a slight or you, it's always right there. And yep. I mean, I mean, I've talked to a lot of moms, I mean, especially with elite athletes over the years that I've met through their competitive, you know, soccer, it's just there. You don't ever, you know, I mean, you, you're fine. You deal with it. It's not a, but you, you just are so protective of your kids and you can still remember that little kid out there, you know, and, you know, but Hey, they grow up and they become strong. They become strong people and they, they have, they have a tremendous impact and that's, what's very exciting. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast and a big, huge thank you to Denise Rapino for coming on the show and for telling her side of the story of Megan's career. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. If you want more episodes of the 343 podcast, you can find those at 343coaching.com. And that is also where you can find out more about how you can help to support and fund this podcast that you are listening to right now. You can do that by partaking in one of our online coaching courses. So we offer a free program and we also offer a premium program that teaches you the proven methodologies that 343 has been putting on display for quite some time now. So you can find more information about that uh, on 343coaching.com. And here is Tom Beyer to talk a little bit about his experience with taking one of our online courses. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I liked about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how to, how to develop, um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, you can find all of that at 343coaching.com. That's the numbers three, four, and three, the word coaching all spelled out.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode and we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 podcast.